Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Apparently, I need to stop speed reading my text messages. I was under the impression that Jamar was going to be joining us this hour. And uh, he very clearly communicated via text that it was going to be at 10 o'clock. So the good thing about that is that it gives me a full hour to get my side of the argument out. And then uh, he could just respond. He could just react. We uh, we had a contentious conversation via phone in the last segment of the show uh, last night regarding this whole Charlottesville situation and the reaction from President Donald Trump and, of course, the broader reaction from everyone else including yours truly. And of course, that aftermath has continued to unfold over the past 24 hours. And uh, my thoughts on the subject have been a little bit refined, um, due in no small part to entertaining the commentary of folks uh, whom I trust uh, and go to when I'm looking to uh, formulate my own opinion. Ben Shapiro being chief among them. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can catch up on the podcasts by using your iHeartRadio app as well. Just do a search for Closing Argument. Appreciate you catching up on the things we've been talking about. 651-989-5855 to join us this evening. Brad Omlin producing the show and taking your calls. So as I say, I've had some time to reflect upon both the news from the weekend and also our conversation last night uh, and the, the variety of articles and quotes and musings, the president's reaction and then his secondary reaction. And now he's had a third tertiary reaction, uh, all of which is a big jumble of contradiction in terms of what exactly it is he's trying to convey. And of course, all of that results in, in people reacting in turn and uh, the left is losing their minds. Um, folks on the right are losing their minds. We're all kind of in this this cauldron of crazy together. I want to float a notion here. And the notion is this. Right now, this is a good example of our discourse, our public discourse, being hijacked by a very small minority of the population. You know, when we talk about, as much as it pains activists such as myself, and I know many of you out there listening as well, to hear calls for bipartisanship, calls for coming together in unity. And, you know, because we, when we hear those, we tend to think of compromises that result in policy that we don't like, right? And so we don't like this idea of bipartisanship. But it sells very well to the general public. And I think the reason it sells very well to the general public is because your rank-and-file person who's not plugged in 24-7 to the, the political main line, you know, who isn't d- debating politics on Twitter all day long or on Facebook or whatever the case may be, you know, your person who's focused more on, I don't know, living their lives, going to work every day, spending time with their family, 
pursuing happiness, pursuing values. The vast majority of the American public lives in this space that is not particularly ideological, but conforms to certain basic ideas, basic what we would call an American way of life. That is, you, you go out, you earn a living, you engage in certain responsible behaviors that result in, in the pursuit of long-term rational happiness in order to benefit yourself and your family. And you try to do well by others as best you can. And that's generally, that is something that everybody agrees to, regardless of what party they identify with, regardless of who they vote for in November. Generally speaking, that's where people sit in the American culture. And then along comes something like the alt-right. Along comes something like literal Nazis, white nationalists. Or, on the flip side, along comes something like Antifa or Black Lives Matter or the radical hard left that is engaged in this fantastical idea that they're somehow going to manifest a political revolution that's going to overthrow the capitalist system and bring about some sort of communist utopia that has never happened any time it has ever been tried, but they're dead set that they're going to get their shot, they're going to get their bite at the apple, right? These two forces that constitute a very slim minority of the population have completely hijacked our public discourse in this particular moment, in the immediate aftermath of Charlottesville. Allow me to suggest that they are each equally our enemy. And it's not even that they're our enemy in the sense that here's an enemy over here and here's an enemy over there. They are one and the same. They are feeding off of each other. They serve each other's goal. Because the thing that, that these groups have in common, first of all, is that they are socialist in nature. They deny the principle of individual rights. They deny the enlightenment values upon which the country was founded. They hate those principles which are enshrined in the Declaration of Independence. They don't really like the Constitution. They don't really like the idea of the rule of law. They don't like the idea of people being judged as individuals on their merits based upon what they bring to the table in terms of character traits and values and productivity and ability and talent. Equally, across the board, Antifa, alt-right, they all hate that. They all hate us. They all hate America. They all hate American values. They are collectively our enemy, and both of them want revolution. Now, they want different results from that revolution, but the, the difference in those results are really pretty trivial. It's basically who's the beneficiary, who gets to be in charge, who gets to be king of the tribal hill and, and will the club of the state with which to badger the other one over the head. That's the difference. That's the only difference between them. They are two sides of precisely the same coin. And they ought to be regarded as such. They ought to be condemned as such. They ought to be rejected and excised as the cancer upon our culture that they are. This should not be a controversial thing to say. And yet, as judged by the, the headlines that we've seen over the past 24 hours, it very much is. Going to the Star Tribune. Combative and insistent, President Donald Trump declared a new Tuesday, there is blame on both sides for the deadly violence last weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia appearing to once again equate the actions of white supremacist groups and those protesting them. 
he showed sympathy for the fringe group's efforts to preserve Confederate monuments. The president's comments effectively wiped away the more conventional statement he delivered at the White House a day earlier when he branded members of the KKK neo-Nazis and white supremacists who take part in violence as, quote, criminals and thugs, unquote. Trump's advisors had hoped those remarks might quell a crush of criticism from Republicans, Democrats, and business leaders, but the president's retorts Tuesday suggested he had been a reluctant participant in that cleanup effort and renewed questions about why he seems to struggle to unequivocally condemn white nationalists. Now, as I spoke about at length last night, I share in the bewilderment regarding Donald Trump's reaction to this whole situation. I don't understand why it's so hard to to initially, without waiting for 48 hours, come out and categorically condemn white nationalism, white supremacists, the KKK. You can't pretend as though you don't know what these things are and that you don't understand the role that they're playing and that the game that they're at. Because here's the thing. Here's here's what the concession that I am granting the president of the United States, that he's at least as smart as me, right? That he's at least as smart as a nobody in the middle of Minnesota. And so if he's at least as smart as me, he has to know who these people are, what they believe, and what they represent. So why the hesitation in terms of condemning them? So we, t- we talked about that last night. That's not. I don't want to get hung up on that. I merely cite it just as a, as a concession that, indeed, I get it. I understand why people are confused. That said, there's a larger problem that has emerged here, a much larger problem, and that is that people seem to be zeroed in on condemning not the violence, not the rights violation, but specifically the idea, just the idea, of white nationalism. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, white nationalism properly ought to be condemned as an idea. But let's just think about this for a second. In a vacuum, with no other consideration, if if the only thing I have to worry about is that there's a guy in the room with me who thinks that he's superior because he's white and I'm black, what does that take from me? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How have I been victimized by his thought, by his feeling? Now, I condemn the feeling, right? The feeling is wrong. The feeling is morally reprehensible. The feeling is irrational. And he, he ought to be condemned. He ought to face social censure as a result of holding that opinion. But having that opinion doesn't hurt me. Having that opinion doesn't violate my rights. By contrast, engaging in violence against me does. Depriving me of my right to life, liberty, and property does harm me. And on that measure, it's not just the alt-right, it's not just the white nationalists that were the problem in Charlottesville. It was also anti-fa. It was also the hard left. It's also the broader left-wing mechanism, apparatus, 
that is to that totally justifies violent action taken in quote protest unquote of people with whom they disagree. And Jamar, who again will have on here at ten o'clock, the what we argued about last night on the last segment of the program was he's he basically said that these folks should not get permits to speak. Which, first of all, I think it's kind of interesting that. There's this contrast between the alt-right and Black Lives Matter, right? Where with the alt even though I categorically reject both of them, at least the alt-right got the permit, right? Like, at least they sought to do it in a legal manner. Black Lives Matter doesn't even try to do that. So just on that measure alone, there's an inequality there in terms of making a value judgment. But then in that context, to, to say that People who hold opinions that you disagree with should not be able to get permitted access to venues that are otherwise generally open to the public. What you're doing there is you're opening the door to censorship. And that seems to be where we're at. And it's not just Democrats who are making this argument. There's another post here at the uh, Star Tribune, another article. A handful of Minnesota members of Congress, people we elected, including several DFLers and one Republican, tweeted in response to President Trump's comments on Tuesday suggesting that counter-protesters on the left were also responsible for violence that broke out over the weekend at a Virginia rally organized by white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and members of the alt-right movement. U.S. Representative Eric Paulson, Republican, tweeted, quote, This is cut and dry. White supremacists and neo-Nazis have no place in our society, and that should be made unequivocally clear on all levels, unquote. Now, is he wrong? No, of course that's true. But he's saying that in the context of Donald Trump having the audacity to say, you know what, the Antifa's wrong too. You know what, no matter what, what your motivation is, you don't get to pick up a club and hit somebody else over the head. No matter how much you hate what they said, what they think, what they believe, you don't get to violate their rights. This should not be a controversial statement. And in 2016, 2017, it is. That's a problem. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, Talk.com. Taking your continued live and local reaction to Charlottesville. The chaos that erupted there over the weekend and the aftermath, which has included a number of different remarks from the president of the United States, each of which have caused a cascade of counter reaction from uh, all sides of the political spectrum. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, 651-989-5855 to get your word in edgewise. Let's go to Lou in Brooklyn Park. Welcome to the program. Sorry we couldn't get to you last night. Oh, that's that's all right, Walter. We had a heated discussion, and I I hung up, and I enjoyed listening to that. But <laughs> it was so you guys wasn't it? can iron some things out. Yeah, we'll see. It might just be an hour of yelling at each other, which is totally fine. That's good radio, right? <laughs> okay, uh, maybe you have to put the uh, boxing gloves on. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, uh, just trying to think which way to take this. Um, okay. Do you think that it's been proven that George Soros has financed a lot of the – I mean, I think that's been pretty well established. He's been financing a lot of protesters. And... I, I have heard that 
I have not personally done any research whatsoever into it. Uh, it it does strike me that you know it's 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 been kind of a running joke amongst conservative activists that the reason why you don't see a bunch of Republicans out there rallying and chanting and what have you and holding signs is because we're all at work, right? Like we're all at work, we're at church, we're home with our families. We don't have time for that. The, that that and you know to what extent that's true or not. It, it does reflect an economic reality that there's an opportunity cost to take the time to travel and go do these things. And so, you know, you can get around that by paying people, either by reimbursing them for their expenses or by outright paying them to do it. And certainly there have been some instances of that, sure. Well, do you think the other side could be financed too? Well, that's what that's primarily what I'm talking about. Like, I don't see that. Ha- I, I have to imagine that if you could get paid to protest as a conservative, I'd have heard about it by now, and I have not. That's the thing is during during the the height of the Tea Party 2009 2010 when when I was most actively involved with it you know there was this kind of this running meme uh, amongst the media and the, the left wing types that it was all astroturf you remember Nancy Pelosi calling us astroturf and saying it wasn't real and it was all paid for by the Koch brothers and what have you and I'm sitting there thinking to myself man you know it's not like I wouldn't take the check right like if if the Koch brothers were willing to write it I'd take it but that offer never came so well, I think they have cut a lot of checks, though, haven't they? Well, not to not. I don't think to your rank and file activists, maybe to organizations. Yeah. Well, that'd be interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting. That's almost something that maybe uh, should be investigated because if there, if that kind of thing is going on, I mean, I mean, don't you think as a as a constitutional guy that that like you are and you're kind of concerned about the you know, things being just and right, that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe this stuff should be investigated? And- well, it, it should if there, there is probable cause to believe that the funding is part of an organized, intentional effort to break the law and to violate people's rights. So in other words, you know, I'm a proponent of, and I, I recognize that this is probably a, a minority opinion in the general population, but I think we need to get really tough on organizations like Black Lives Matter and treat them the same way that we treated the mafia. We ought to have RICO-style legislation that's targeted at the people who organize the law-breaking. Because they, they're out they're out brazenly, out in the open, on social media, telling you when and where they're going to break the law. And somehow that's not a crime. Somehow they're, they're, we're not able to stop them. They, well, it ought the to death, be a crime to plan it. How about the death threats against Trump? I mean— Oh yeah, sure. Well, I, I I imagine those are being investigated. We probably just aren't hearing about it. Yeah, it, you know, I just think that um, they don't want people coming together. I think that if Trump came out and said, "Hey, look, let's uh, let's really get this economy jump started, and we're gonna," yeah, I don't care what side of the aisle you're from. We're gonna we're gonna put people to work, and we're yeah. gonna, you know, we're gonna get some things going here that. I think that the establishment would freak out if there were people were being brought together. I mean, in maybe I, I mean, th- I think the to your point, I think the best thing that Trump could do right now is to pivot towards his agenda and and work it and work it seriously and get things done. Because to your point, if the economy starts humming and, and people start feeling as though America is being made great again, 
n- all of this side stuff is going to fall to the wayside and nobody's going to care and, and we're going to have a good year next year. So You know, I got a couple other things here for you real quick. Um, and I think it helps to go look in the dictionary to go find out the exact meaning of things. And I got capitalism and socialism here. Uh-huh. And it's, it's real interesting. Would you care to take a guess at what the definition of capitalism is or what you think it is? The, well, I can tell you what I say it is, but I don't know what the dictionary is saying these days. Go ahead. Okay. An economic system characterized by freedom of the market with increasing concentration of private and corporate ownership of production and distribution means proportionate to increasing accumulation and reinvestment of profits. I, I'd say that's a fair dictionary definition, but it's... Uh... That, that kind of sounds like what we've had more and more the last, you know, since 1980, I would say, with what I've witnessed. And then, you know, the definition of socialism is, is very interesting, too, and, and I think this is what the powers that be really don't want. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...to have, and, and this is at least when I, what I observed a long time ago, more what we had years ago, but. And socialism is a social social system in which the producers possess both political power and the means of producing and distributing goods. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? It doesn't, but I don't think that's accurate. To me, the fundamental difference, I mean, here's, here's the nutshell. The difference between capitalism and socialism is one occurs under the condition of liberty and the other occurs under the condition of control. So you can be free or you can be told what to do. Those are your options. I vote for freedom. I appreciate your call, Lou. Appreciate you. You're listening as always. Let's go to Corey in Rockford. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, I was saying that I think that uh, I think the all left is the ones that are more controlling doing the what what is the alt left, in your view? The KKK and the neo Nazis. Oh, so that. you're saying you're saying that they really ought to be called the alt left instead of the alt right? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I actually don't disagree with that. I mean, now I would drop the alt because I don't think you need to have an alt in front of left. Left just covers yeah. it. But but to to your point, I, I I agree with you that all these things, all these systems of control and ideologies of imposition of irrationality properly belong on the left side of the political spectrum. Our political spectrum, unfortunately, though as it's traditionally understood, is very convoluted and doesn't really facilitate clear thinking. To my mind, I agree with Ayn Rand. The, a, a properly drawn political spectrum has authoritarianism on one end, the left end. And the condition of liberty 
on the other. The far right on her political spectrum would be the condition of liberty, the condition of capitalism, the condition of people being in control of their own lives and pursuing their own values. And, and in that case, you know, call me an extremist. I want freedom. Appreciate your call, Corey. Yeah. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 651-989-5855. We'll take Terry's call when we return. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Sometimes I feel like I am drunk behind the wheel. We're counting down the minutes until we're joined by Jamar, co-host of Black Republican, Black Democrat, which you can hear on Saturdays here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can catch up on the stream or the podcast at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com or your iHeartRadio app. Let's go to Terry, who's been holding in Blaine. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hey. Um, yeah, when I work out, I like to listen to the uh, left media to piss me off and give me motivation. <laughs> left media being pretty much... Everybody except your station. Um, That's a good strategy. Are you familiar with Geraldine Steele? Geraldine Steele? At WCCO Steele Talking. She has yeah. a show. Sorry, I'm not. Sunday evening. Okay. Is, is that she's, good for motivation? For workouts? Well, she's African American and she's uh, pretty much a racist, in my opinion. I gotcha. But anyway, the thing, she talks about things and she presents them as fact such as this past Sunday, she said that Trump has said that he is only going to serve the interest of white voters. And um, another jam was in Cuba, when the refugees come across and they land on the shore, if their skin is too dark, they put them back on their boat and send them home. Wow. I called and I couldn't get on the line. I think they screened me. But I asked, uh, what date was that Trump speech where he said he's only going right. to serve the interest of white voters and what proof she might have that dark-skinned Cubans are set back on their boat. Right. I mean, yeah. the people that buy that, I mean, seriously? Yeah. Are people that ignorant? Yes. The answer to your question is yes. Yes, they are. And, and this is a problem that, you know, and, and to, to Trump's point today, you know, he, he said that there's plenty of blame to spread around in terms of the sides of these discussions. And the point applies here as well there there are folks on both sides of the political spectrum who are ready to latch on to anything any headline any narrative any fantasy that makes the other side look horrible and makes their side look good now the problem that i have with that personally is that you know aside from just on its face the fact that you're embracing something that's not true and that's dishonest and a disservice to yourself and speaks poorly of your character beyond all that it defe- it undermines the the purpose of defeating things that are actually bad like this this whole thing with racism i appreciate your call terry this whole thing with racism we talked about this a little bit last night in our reaction to the events in charlottesville over the weekend if if racism is so horrible that it justifies all of this animation and rending of robes and gnashing of teeth, you know, and and banging of of drums and what have you, it, of outrage over any expression of it. If it's that bad, then wouldn't you think it's important to develop a rational strategy for actually defeating it? 
And if that's if that's your goal, if you actually want to defeat racism, which as an idea is something that can only be defeated with other ideas, right? Like you have to you have to conquer it on the the playing field where it exists, which does not include force. This is my fundamental problem with the way the left chooses to approach their opposition to what they perceive to be racism is their answer is ban it, prevent it, outlaw it, fine it, force people against their will to to entertain customers that they don't want to entertain and what have you, force human relationships. None of that, that force, the imposition, the, the initiation of force does nothing, precisely nothing to actually defeat racism because it doesn't address the idea. All it does is suppress the exercise, the action that is informed by that idea. If you actually want to defeat it, then you need to address it. You need to identify it. You need to articulate why it's wrong. And you need to condemn it on rational terms that you can that you can then in turn persuade other people with. That's how you defeat it. But instead, the, the left isn't interested in any of that. What they're interested in is, is two things. Number one, actually perpetuating. They want racism in our society. I think that's clear at this point. Last night I talked about how over the course of my life, and I do not think that this is the kind of you know historical revisionism that we tend to go through as we mature, you know, as we age. We tend to romanticize the past and think that the present is horrible and what have you. And that's true. That is a human tendency. But I genuinely don't believe that that's what's informing my opinion here. When I was a kid, when I was a young adult, this kind of stuff was not as provocative as it is today. You didn't see the type of, the type of widespread you know, people losing their minds, ending relationships not able to conduct themselves productively in society over the fact that somebody has an opinion that they don't like. It's risen to a level of absolute and utter absurdity. And that is by design. This goes back to my point that I opened the show with tonight. The alt-right and the hard left, anti-fa, Black Lives Matter, etc. They are two sides of the same coin that are, they're symbiotic. They feed off of each other. They depend upon each other to justify each other's existence. And all you need to do in order to, to verify that is to listen to them speak, to read what they write. You go to the alt-right websites. You watch the alt-right YouTube videos. They talk about how they're justified in holding the views that they hold and taking the actions they take because of the social justice warriors. Right, because of the politically correct culture, because of the tribalism in Black Lives Matter. You know, all these other groups, all these other minority groups have organizations and history months and, you know, specials on television, documentaries, entire cable channels dedicated to their existence, right? So why can't white people? That's the argument. And it's an attractive argument, right? You know, if you're going to be equal if you're going to if you're going to say that that's okay to do for blacks and latinos and everybody else then why is it okay to do it for whites that's their argument on the other side you've got antifa and the hard left saying well look at these 
white supremacists among us. Look at these Nazis among us. Therefore, we are totally justified in taking to the streets and punching Nazis like, in, like we're Indiana Jones or something, right? We're going to go out there and, and take it to them and let them know that if this is not acceptable in our society. It's not going to be tolerated. And each, what that leads to is a situation where they each depend upon each other to be the threat that justifies the continued revolution. And coincidentally, they both share the same goal, which is the destruction of the status quo. A, a revolutionary change away from a constitutional republic which recognizes individuals as such and values individual rights towards an old world style European dark ages vision of tribal leadership where the strong man from on high who has gone out and conquered land for his tribe gets to dictate how the rest of us are going to live. That's what they both want. They, the only way they differ is on who gets to be that strong man and which tribe gets to stand on top of the hill of conquest. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, 651-989-5855. John will take your call when we return. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. We'll be joined in mere minutes by Jamar co-host of Black Republican, Black Democrat, which you can hear on Twin Cities News Talk on Saturdays. AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. We've just been riffing on the aftermath of the events in Charlottesville over the weekend. Uh, there's been much to dissect and continue to talk about. Let's go to John in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. Hey, good evening. Uh, so I was looking at the statement that that Trump made on Saturday, and if you look at it from a holistic perspective, he's condemning any violence and hatred, mm -hmm. regardless of what group it is. Right. And it seems as though the only real difference between that statement and the, the two statements yesterday and today mm -hmm. is that he's specifically calling out groups like white supremacists, Nazis, etc. And so I kind of equate it to back when... You know, Obama was in the presidency, and there was this whole uh, terrorism, and Obama was afraid to call it specifically Muslim terrorism right. or Islamic terrorism, and right. was using more gen generic terminology. Right. And it just seems as though the left is trying to nitpick on things, very similar to the sheriff in Milwaukee, who apparently got called on the table for plagiarizing, and the only reason it was considered plagiarizing was the fact that he forgot a couple quotation marks. He had all the, the uh, notations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just because you forget a couple quotation marks, now it's going to be plagiarism. It's like, come on, give me a freaking break. Yeah, I haven't been following that story too closely, but uh, I, I take your, your larger point. I think that... You know, th there's a couple observations that, to my mind, that come from th this kerfuffle over how Trump uh, has responded. And you know, as I said today and and last night, I, I agree to a certain extent that there is, in fact, uh, something to criticize, or at least 
something to ask a legitimate question about in terms of why Trump has chosen to react in the way that he does. But my concern and the way that I've articulated my concern is distinct from uh, and, and different from the prevailing mainstream concern, which seems to be exclusively regarding white nationalism, the alt-right, and Donald Trump's unwillingness to, to call those particular groups out by name. Look, in my perfect world, if I was the one drafting the response, if I was a speechwriter in the Trump White House, what I would have had him say is, would I, I would have had him list the organization, sure, but I would have included Antifa, I would have included Black Lives Matter to the extent that they were involved, I don't know if they were directly involved in the counter-protests here, and I would have made the point that violence as a form of political activism is completely unacceptable no matter who is engaged in it. And, and these ideas which try to justify violence as a means of advancing politics must be defeated and should not be tolerated within our discourse. Well, Trump used the wrong word when he said blame because blame implies that like the left can just look at the neo-Nazi protesters and go, well, they started it, and that's where the blame lies. Um, but where you can really uh, look is where they base their argument, and right. that is, is it based in individual rights? Right. And neither side is. Yeah. Because right. the reason hate speech is protected by the First Amendment is that it doesn't articulate a threat. There's a difference between... I saying I hate black people and saying I'm going to kill you. Right. Exactly. And that is the distinction that we need to recognize. Right. And uh so if it's not so like what the neo-Nazis say threatens a group, but that is but that is protected speech because it's based in this group think, you know, not individual rights. So it's based on the individual level and you have to consider threats to the individual, not a group. Well, and and to, to drill down on that, the, the quote-unquote threat has to be something specific that's directed towards a, a very, if not an individual, a very specific set of circumstances. Yes. We're going to show up at this time in this place and do X, which categorically is going to result in the violation of people's rights. Because if you're going to if you're going to broaden it out to anything that makes me feel threatened this is kind of is a call back to our continuing you know, perennial conversation about how the police interact with with folks in in use of force situations if our only standard for shutting down speech is it makes somebody feel threatened then we're going to be shutting down speech left and right and that is the status quo. That's where we find ourselves. That's what Jamar, who we're going to be talking with here momentarily in just a few moments in the 10 o'clock hour, is basically what I heard him advocating last night. And we're going to continue that conversation uh, as we move forward because I think it's extraordinarily important. And to my mind, you know, there's a ranking, and, and I've kind of danced around this this hour, and I want to hit the point explicitly right now. There is a proper sense of priority to the issues and problems that have emerged coming out of this Charlottesville situation. And I do not rank, and are you ready to be shocked? Are you ready? Are you ready to be provoked? I do not rank racism as the number one problem. Not even close, not even close. And again, the reason why is because in a vacuum, somebody's racist, racism is an idea. 
And in a vacuum, an idea cannot hurt me. An idea deprives me of nothing. There, there are people that I am surrounded by all over the place who have no idea, uh, who have a variety of ideas that I disagree with, find to be irrational, find to be offensive, and that I do not support. But the fact that they hold those ideas deprives me of nothing whatsoever. And I don't get to say that they don't get to have that idea. They don't get to express that idea. That's the larger threat. Larger than racism, which again, in a vacuum, doesn't actually cause physical harm to anyone. The thing that concerns me is the threat to actual individual rights, the threat to speech, the threat to assembly, the threat to political action, the, the, the threat to our discourse, that we can't even have the conversation. We can't even, because here's the thing, again, going back to my premise that if you actually want to defeat racism, the prerequisite for doing so is having the arena of ideas wherein you can actually weigh these concepts and judge them on their merits. If you don't have the freedom, if the guy who has the vile, horrible, hateful idea doesn't have the freedom to express it, then how can you counter it? And basically, you're basically yielding, you're basically conceding when you say that the only way I can defeat somebody else's horrible idea is by pointing a gun at their head and telling them they can't say it. You're basically conceding the merits of their argument. You're saying, I can't articulate on a rational basis why that idea is bad. So my only option is to force them to shut up. And I don't think that's either adequate or moral. Jamar joins us when we come back. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.